everyone and welcome to the EdTech podcast, the podcast for everyone, anywhere, working on delivering and developing education, teaching and learning with an open and inquisitive mindset around technology. We've got some exciting news as this week I will be interviewing Andreas Schleicher, who you may know better as the guy from the OECD who releases the PISA results each year. His real title is Director for Education Skills and Special Advisor on Education Policy to the Secretary General at the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris. If you have questions for Andreas, please do send them in and I'll fit in as many as possible in the interview. Also next week, I'm interviewing amazing and award-winning musician and technologist Imogen Heap about creativity, learning and tech. You can also see the EdTech podcast in action live at the Steam Village stage at BET on Wednesday 25th of January at 2pm and at the Future stage at 3pm on Thursday 26th of Jan or tweet me at podcast EdTech. If all this chat of bet sounds a million miles away, fear not, the EdTech podcast hits the road in 2017 and the first stop is South by Southwest Edu and hopefully heading east throughout the rest of the year. Now on to this week's show. What is tech in schools for? One of the areas which could make a significant impact is actually saving administrative task strain on teachers to give them back time in the classroom. In the UK, the DfE Teacher Workload Review Group identified data and marking as two key areas which suck up time. In this second episode from the Microsoft series, I talk with Alan Crawford, Vice Principal, and Sir Mark Grundy, Head Teacher, both at Shireland Collegiate Academy, about innovation and efficiency. Looking at BYOD versus one-to-one initiatives with Surface... I mean, I I have a problem with bring your own device. It's utter chaos. Using technology to do the heavy lifting and save time on resources, feedback and data. That absolutely saves hundreds, if not thousands of hours. Using a flipped approach for staff, students, governors and parents. All of our governance is run through the governance portal. All of our trustees work in a flipped way. They all have all key documents ahead of any board meeting and they read them and they post questions back to us. And the depth of scrutiny we now get from trustees is at a level I've never seen since since I've been a head or a a deputy anywhere. Plus more on leadership planning and serving your students. I expect the leadership team to serve the staff and the kids. I don't expect the staff to serve the leadership team. And not only that, you even get to hear a school bell in the background of this week's episode. If you're in the UK the week this is released, you can see Alan, Sir Mark and Kirsty Tonks all from Shireland Academy at BET. So do connect with them at the Microsoft Village or School Leaders Summit if you can meet in person. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Pocket Cast. Send me your feedback and have a great week. It's no doubt going to be a very busy one. Sophie. Good morning, Alan. How are you? All right, thank you. How are you? Uh, not too bad, thank you. It's pretty freezing down here, though. Oh, is it? Where are you? Um, I'm in East London, so... In East London? Oh, yeah. gosh. Morning, Sophie. I've brought Sir Mark in now. Wonderful. Hello, Sir Mark. Morning, Sophie. How are you doing? 
I'm fine. I'm okay. Excellent. So um, it's a very cold morning here in East London, but I'm delighted to be joined by Alan Crawford, Vice Principal, and Sir Mark Grundy, Head Teacher, both from Shireland Collegiate Academy. So welcome this morning. Morning, Sophie. Morning, Sophie. Um, And what I'm interested to speak about today um, is really this idea about how technology may actually work to save or free up teacher time um, as opposed to as a learning tool, but more around uh, this idea of innovation and efficiencies, which I know, Alan, you'll be speaking about at BET next week at the time of recording this. So, just to sort of kick off at a very top level, what would both of your views be on how technology can go back to saving actual teacher time so that they can focus on the teaching and learning aspect? So, so I think, I think um, so where Shireland is, is a fairly interesting part of the country. Um, it's the sort of overspill part of the city of Birmingham. Um, so we've got migrant communities, we've got some... Um, some great families, but we've not got families that have got the confidence to support their children's learning. We've not got the families that have got resources. So, so in terms of staff scaffolding support for youngsters, if you don't use technology, to be perfectly honest, you can't level the playing field. Mm. So what we've done for almost, I suppose, for probably the best part of 15 years is that we've used Microsoft technologies and what we've done is we've created a framework whereby we can support youngsters learning in the classroom and at home and we can try and bring families in in a sort of structured way to support their children. And that framework has saved our staff thousands of hours um, of the sort of heartache that most teachers would have in terms of trying to do that without having a technological infrastructure um, to sort of to do the heavy lifting. Um, seven or eight years ago I met Bill Gates, his tech advisor a guy called Anoop Gupta and what he he very eloquently said I thought was what technology should do in schools is it should do the heavy lifting of learning it should do the things that actually drag staff down be they teaching or non-teaching because they're just tiresome they're troublesome they're repetitive so what we've done is we've created a structure that's actually taken loads of those pressures away and it frees hours and hours and hours of our staff time interesting i mean i was having a conversation uh, last week with a lady from the teaching workload review group and she was from the particular group looking at marking and i know there were three three areas i think it was marking data and i can't remember the third one but when when you say sort of the heavy lifting for you where are those sort of thousands of hours being saved so I think I think um, some of it is preparing resources and delivering resources to youngsters. You know, the, um, at the risk of making myself unpopular with the photocopy industry, um, what most schools do is photocopy the world. It probably has about a th- two or three day lifespan before it's either lost into a bin or into the bottom of a bag, um, and it it it's just not a, it's not an economic way of actually delivering learning. Whereas if you put this into what was SharePoint and is now Office 365 and you get staff to actually deliver things online. But then what we've seen in the last few years is you've got the ability of you've got inking technology, which allows you to suddenly use things in a very different way. So 
One of one of the areas of where you save hours and hours and hours is the delivery of learning activities, objects, resources to kids and, and for staff to work with them in a different way. The second one is definitely marking. So we've we work we partnered with um, the examination group OCR um, two or three years ago. Um, we agreed to to effectively be their sort of innovation partners. How could you use technology to change practice, and then how could you get it out into other schools? Uh, and we've done lots of work on all sorts of things, but two of the things that sort of resonate with what you've just mentioned are we've done work on video um, supporting marking, or actually video supporting feedback, really, and on audio supporting feedback. And lots of our staff have trialed that. I don't know, they, it's, it's, it's something that we've, we, we've watched become viral. Again, I'd, Sophie, I'd say that the problem with lots of these things are people will go and do some really cool stuff, but there's nothing that ties it together. So mm-hmm. what Alan and the team have done is they've actually created mechanisms whereby people can do their audio and video feedback in a space inside our Office 365 environment. So, so it's kind of home. It's not just a, it's not just a one-off video or audio activity that, that doesn't, isn't re- easy to replicate. What we've done is we've created this framework whereby I can use it with my classes and the kids will know where it is. They'll know where it pops up every week. They'll know where it pops up at the end of assessments. Um, so that's absolutely saved time. Hasn't it? Yes, and we've also got um, um, using Office Mix to make things auto-markable, so staff are setting things that can be marked and you can see that data um, and where those students have achieved or need some reinforcement within their teaching. Um, and that that can be used again and again, so you're not having to regenerate things all the time. The third one is then in terms of data. Um, we've used all sorts of data presentation tools for a period of time. We met a guy called Matt Woodruff about a year ago, and he, he runs his own company called Costco. And we've now formed um, a strategic and commercial partnership with Costco. And what Matt does is he uses um, business intelligence software to surface data, but he does it in a very tactile way. And what we're doing is we're working with Matt to make it even more tactile for families, for youngsters, um, and for our staff. And that absolutely saves hundreds, if not thousands of hours, because you know, in most schools, you have a data manager and the staff go and queue up and ask this poor soul to give them all sorts of things that they yeah. need in terms of their daily work. Whereas what we're doing with Matt is we're automating that. So, you know, you log on to Windows 10 and there'll be a heads up display that basically tells you on a tile how well your group are doing. And then you can flick the tile around. You can see your progress eight score. You can see the attendance score. You can see any behavior events. So actually what you're doing is you're, I suppose what we've tried to do with technology is to make processes as natural as possible. Yeah. Not technologically driven as possible. I know that sounds like almost like a contradiction, but it isn't. Get technology to be as invisible as possible. And actually it's worth its weight in gold. Hold people to ransom with it. (laughs) They don't use it. So this is really interesting because um, I suppose that's part of the puzzle. Um, And I know you've worked on this for a long time, but um, I noticed something on, on Alan's LinkedIn page. So success is important for both students and staff and will only prevail if the systems and planning is meticulous to allow everything to happen. So I guess my, my question was for other sort of leaders and teachers working with ICT listening in is, you know, how much of this is, is around the planning? Like how long did this all take and how much of this has come out from over, you know, working from the early 2000s onwards 
to come into that realization of this is how you in, embed some of these uh, processes so that it does save teachers time? Yes, I, th- I think w- one of the things that perhaps makes um, Shireland slightly different to other schools and certainly to, uh, different to some of the schools we go in is there is a real commitment here to, to process management and having a clarity of process. Um, because then you can build all sorts of benefits on top of that. What you can't do is build all sorts of benefits and technologies benefits on top of chaos. Um, And and also you can't build it on top of a lack of ownership. And quite often people don't own processes, be they learning processes. They don't own data. They're just, um, this is awful, but they're almost dumb recipients of data at times. And then they wonder why they don't actually gain any benefit from it. They know they need it but they don't really know what they're going to do with it and how they're going to shape it and what they want it to, it to look like. So we've worked very hard to have a series of processes. You know, our staff use class sites and they use OneNote and they use Classroom and they use those all to create a, an environment for kids to support kids learning. And this, the same principles flow through all three of the solutions that we sort of interchange between, but people understand the, the, the principle here of, Try and put stuff out there to kids before lessons in a flipped way. Try and feed back to them in the most um, real and almost intrusive way. Um, Try and get them actively involved. Try and get them to do stuff at home. So there are some central guiding principles, I suppose, for um, for that process in the same way that there are in terms of data and pulling the, the assessment process forward. And staff get those, don't they? They do, they do. And I think that our journey's never finished because technology is changing so quick. And, and, and if you just take even Office 365, it, it is changing on a sort of sometimes weekly basis. And we're always looking at what's coming out to where we can go next and how we can adapt and enrich what we've already got. And we're, and we're stubborn, Sophie. We, I mean, well, I am. I mean, I wouldn't speak for Alan. Yeah, that would be really rude. I, I'll but take I am, that. I'm is, probably stubborn as well. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm stubborn in that. I, I, I won't accept that a technology should force our processes to change, mm. because if it does, it's probably not the right technology for us. So I don't think technologies, or or to be honest, or even consultancy or any of those mm. solutions should force you to change from a process that you actually know works for your staff, works for your kids and works for your families. So we're your best and your worst place to pilot anything because people will bring really glitzy stuff in and we'll go, yeah, it's fab, but it actually isn't going to work because it won't make the learning process any more expedient, any deeper, any richer. So yes, it looks fantastic, but actually, you know, what we've already got is better than you've brought to us. Um, And I think not enough schools are stubborn around the processes of learning and school improvement and and school management. And, just thinking about, so I know that the Collegiate Academy is part of Microsoft Schools programme. So what exactly is that programme? So the, the programme is a recognition of the way that we use technology. Um, okay. And albeit the majority of the technology we use is, is Microsoft based. Okay. And they see that we've made a difference in using that technology to students learning to our environment as a whole for all staff. And I think that's one of the things that's really important is our whole academy is built on Office 365. So when you take into account HR, when you take into account finance, the the staff within the academy know where they can go to access things. And um, the one-to-one initiatives, is that part of what we've spoken about already as well? 
It was it was something that we always envisaged we wanted to do. We'd run a one-to-one device for our key stage three for about yeah. three or four years. And then we, we made the decision that we would move to a one-to-one um, process and the rest of the academy to uh, ideally move everything on to the next stage. So as part of that, so I know you, you the devices that you use are Surface devices, is that right? Um, So what I wondered as well is how you came to the decision to use those devices and I mean I know you mentioned flipped learning as well what you do with the devices and my big one on um, on devices as well is um, to what extent all of the kids are able to to benefit from those devices at home. So just thinking about um, attainment gaps and diff- you know the, you mentioned the different experiences that people may have in their home lives. How to try and make sure that benefit is across everyone. Um, it's just something I'm trying to get my head around, I suppose. So so. Um... <laughs> So some of these sometimes I think Sophie sound a bit like contradictions. So the only students who take their devices home are our post sixteen students. Okay, yeah. So they take the surface devices home because I think we feel that that's a sensible and responsible thing to do in that we don't think there'd be a security and safety issue if we allowed that to happen and it's worked well for us. All the rest of the devices youngsters pick up as they walk into school. Um and I think Probably two or three years ago, that would have been a tension for us. As Alan said, we've we've run one-to-one devices in Key Stage 3 for quite a long time now, um, but we've then brought it into Key Stage 4, into Year 10 and 11. Um, and I think a couple of years ago, the tension would have been that actually, would they have anything to continue their learning on at home? Mm. But as actually, as Office 365 has evolved, it's very clear that the youngsters can pick up on their smartphones, their Android phones, their tablets, and even you know the browsers on, on um, Playstations and Xboxes, they can actually get to our gateway and they can look at their work and they can do some of the work. Um, and we've developed solutions that um, are very easy to use at home. So the tension that I think we had a couple of years ago of we've got all this richness in school, but does it end when they go home? Yeah. I think we're pretty convinced that isn't the case now. What we've also done is then work in the community. So over the last 10 years, uh, we've put devices into community centres. We've worked with other community partners. We've worked with primary partners to make sure that um, if there needs to be something, then the kids can can actually use it um, in a community venue, uh, yeah. in a free centre. Um, but I don't think we feel there is that issue anymore. We we know that um, we don't. I our, our students don't don't say to us. I, I haven't heard it for ages and ages that the fact they don't take their device home is a barrier to their learning. They just go on whatever they've got at home and they link to our gateway to our Office 365 environment and they pick up their work. And do, do all of them have access to internet at home or devices that they can use outside? So, so the last time we surveyed, we were at something yeah. like a 94% um, said they'd actually got devices at home. And um, and yet, the, I suppose those other those other structures that we put into place catch the six percent. But we also we, we rarely empty this campus before six o'clock at night. <laughs> there are kids, you know, um, and I, I get that. You know, I mean, I'm not saying all of them stay here to work um, in a rigorous way because I'd be utterly deluded if I said that. <laughs> a lot of them stay here because they might stay here, and it's much better than going home. And yeah. it's easier to do if they don't. So. Yeah, we've got we've just opened a very different learning resource centre stroke library where we've opened that up for kids. Um, 
an awful lot of young, an awful lot of post sixteen students, Alan, stay here for ages beyond they what do. they need to and work here. So um, we have a really cl- clever behaviour structure where some of the more vulnerable youngsters will stay, and the staff there never go home before half past five, quarter to six. So I suppose we've we've tried to create a whole series of catch-alls um, that pick up youngsters that would normally fall through the net. Yeah, it's just yeah something I've been trying to get my head around when people talk about flip learning and um, BYOD, but um, that's really interesting. So using those alternative spaces. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a problem with bring your own device. We, we, we've just picked up another school. So we're just in the process of sponsoring a school in a neighbouring authority. Um, and because that school and that authority haven't really spent money on devices for youngsters, they've had a bring your own device policy. And it is just chaos it's utter chaos and the kids don't they don't think that their phones which they're allowed to use in school all the time then they don't see them that they're for learning anyway they just think they're to actually gossip on and to do all sorts of things on social media so when we've met with some of them and said look you know how much are you using your phones in lessons the answer the shocking the look of shock on their face was well what do you mean sir well you know well why, why have you got them in lessons then kids well because we do so, well, has nobody ever thought to actually use them then? No, they're our phones. So, and I don't think that, Sophie, I don't think that's uncommon. If I'm honest, I think I think the bring your own device um, mentality for some school leaders is actually an excuse for not being brave and commit money and committing money to actually putting devices, proper devices in the hands of kids. Interesting. Um, but that's my harsh take on this. It doesn't make <laughs> Universally popular, um, but then to be honest, as I've got older, I've given up trying to be universally <laughs> popular anyway. Yeah, it sounds exhausting trying to do that. Um, no, I don't uh, so another question was: I know we spoke previously about serverless schools, and I just wondered sort of how you're dealing with the issues of security around that, and also in terms of stakeholder management. So if you're thinking of, um, you know, you've got your parents, you've got your governors, you've got lots of media stories around um, cyber security and that kind of thing. So how do you balance the benefits of moving to something like serverless school with uh, managing the community that you work with as well and um, ensuring the security of what's held in that way? We're, we're on our process of moving to that when we build the, the primary school. That's our hope. Yeah. Um, and I think we've still got a, a few hoops and hurdles to, to cross before we get there. Um, in terms of that, I think a lot of parents use lots of different social media sites where yeah. they regularly put out their data without a second thought and and being able to talk to them and doing some work around e-safety which we do with the students and the the parents that we run workshops for and also our governors we're we're showing them that actually the the office 365 offering and the use of azure for example which is where we would want to go in terms of being serverless has a whole host of security features built around it um can I've not heard of anything at the moment that would suggest that that could be a problem for us in, in what we like to do. But obviously, we'll take the views of our community and, and those um, that are running the school. So um, our principal designate, Kirsty Tonks, will be somebody that we'd be, we'd be talking to about where we see that vision going uh, in conjunction with others within the map. It's really interesting, Sophie. We, so we, we've um, we've we've always had four portals in what was the SharePoint environment and is now at the Office 365, and 
um, the, the, the staff and the student portal work really well. They get mm. millions of hits, loads and loads, just ridiculous amounts of traffic. But the governance portal um, is probably one of the things that I think is um, more unique than it should be, uh, but has had a massively positive effect. So all of our governance is run through the governance portal. All of our trustees work in a flipped way. They all have all key documents ahead of any board meeting and they read them and they post questions back to us. Um, and the depth of scrutiny we now get from trustees is at a level I've never seen since, you know, since I've been a head or a, a deputy anywhere. Um, and from, from a family perspective, the family portal, we actually got seduced into picking another solution because it looked as though it was really good. Um, so we moved away from using our family portal and the family portal structure, we basically just tied it in. So when you went to the family portal, the kids logged on through their student portal. So it was a student log on and they shared it with their families. And when we had 300 plus families regularly using it, we went to this amazingly glitzy solution that we bought in that sat to the side of Office 365 and that just fell off a cliff. Um, and as we spoke to the kids and the families, I think what we learned was that actually it's much better when it's part of a bigger whole. You know, it's a bigger structure. So we're going back to, to doing that. We've actually removed that other solution. And you think that's because the students would sort of act as a centre for the parents? Oh, I'm on this anyway. Why don't you have a look? Yeah, I think that, I think young, the youngsters just got that actually the family portal was a sort of offshoot of their student portal and sort of took their families to the family portal through the student portal so you got this sort of dialogue and the moment we bought this other shiny new product that purported to do all sorts of things it was an add-on it was separate it wasn't part of the whole and actually people just simply didn't use it it was an it's been an utter waste of money and so have you, gone, have you gone back or are you going to go back yeah. So we're now going back yeah. to dragging it back into the family portal structure that we previously had here. Yeah? And I think our students are very good at helping their parents um, work their way around our portals because um, many of them won't have used the technology before. Many of them um, don't even speak English as a first language, for example. So being able to help their parents navigate and understand those things is really important. Yeah. Um in terms of Sir Mark, in terms of leadership, so I know I spoke to, to Kirsty Tonks about this before, um, and, and, you know, she very much pointed towards your style of leadership in allowing the space for some of this innovation to flourish. Sorry if you're yeah. blushing. Um, but no. I just, I, I just <laughs> you're having a laugh there, Alan. Um, I, we, we, we are, yes. Yeah. Sorry. So I just wondered, I mean, it is an interesting question around this idea of digital leadership or just leadership generally, which may allow for some of these different ways of sort of using technology, whether that's to save time for teachers. I mean, because it, it isn't an easy process. So um, I just wondered what your your own uh, philosophy or your own style of leadership would be and how you would describe that. Um. um... <laughs> How would I describe my style of leadership? I suppose, Sophie, to some degree, I I expect to work with our staff in the in the way that I would I would expect to for someone to work with me, which is give me a brief, give me the framework of that brief, and then give me some space to do it. Don't completely leave me alone. 
and that's that's effectively how I work. So I would give Alan, Kirsty, Dave Irish, who's my associate principal here, they'd have their space to do it. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to resolve myself for responsibility, as Alan well knows, and Kirsty and Dave. I will come back and say, where are we with this? What do you need me to do? I mean, I think, I think uh, one of the bits that is very much about here is I expect the leadership team to serve the staff and the kids. I don't expect the staff to serve the leadership team. Mm. And all too many school leaders, I think they get headship or they become a deputy. And I think the power goes to their head and they suddenly wander around creating um, a myriad of meetings mm. uh, and of almost sort of quasi accountability where they feel that they're doing their job really well because everyone is, at, is telling them what they're doing. Mm. But actually in the process of all those meetings, they don't do anything. So yeah. what we try and do is create space for people to deliver. Um, you trust people to the point that um, you start to question. If you don't have to question, then you just continue to, to trust them and you give them a bigger and bigger space. It takes a while to shape that because it just does. There's a, there's a sort of, there's an evolution through that. But what the staff here do is they serve the, the rest of the staff in school or senior staff. What the senior staff do is serve other people really well. So they genuinely go to people and say, what, you know, we want to get here. What do I need to do to do the heavy lifting to get you here? What, what are the barriers that are actually going to drag you down? Um, you know, if you're teaching 15 or 16 hours a week, you can't clear these things, but I can. So yeah. tell me what you need. I'll go clear it. But then when I've cleared it, we absolutely expect people to deliver. So there is a very strong expectant culture here that we will be very good and we will do very well. And the youngsters here will um, have a great experience and will make huge amounts of progress. So do our staff feel pressured? Yes, they do. Do they feel hugely accountable? Yes, they do. Do I think they feel well supported by us? Yeah, I think they do. And, and, and I think one of the indicators is we lose very few staff Hmm. And he, to the point, actually, it's become an issue with me because people will go for an interview and then they'll come back. Um, so they'll get offered the job and then in the afternoon they'll come back and say, well, it was it was OK, but it's no Shireland, so I'm not going. But, well, you need to go for your next step. Well, I'm not going yet because there's, there is no support. You've got bed blockers. No <laughs> no, I'm not going. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. Uh, you know, short of kicking some of them out it's it is genuinely becoming an issue for us and if they do go so if they come back yeah so this year alan two or three are coming back to us who've gone yeah. elsewhere yeah. and have basically said can i come back i don't you know more hand more than happy to do this more than happy to go backwards um in terms of my career structure because i i know actually i'll go forwards in terms of the experience base that i develop so well i suppose you're launching a, a, yeah your new school and there's other opportunities yeah and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and actually that's I suppose, again, that's one of the reasons that we're doing it. You know, there's no, at the moment in our trust, the Shireland, there's the secondary school that we're sponsoring that will will go live um, around about Easter. There's the first high-tech primary school that Kirsty's principal designate of. And then beginning of next week, we're interviewed for three more technology primary free schools, which we, we, we hope we're going to get. So it gives us quite a critical mass in terms of supporting practice across the, the, the black country authorities. And are there any other schools that you really rate in terms of what they're doing? And yeah, so there's loads. I mean, you know, Kirsty and I went down to visit um, Jonathan at Broadclist 
uh, down in the southwest and he i mean he's got a great school him and his team down there do some amazing stuff with the kids um and there are i mean there's a couple of universities we've got that we're starting to get to know that are clearly doing some tremendous stuff there's there's a whole raft of schools um there's some schools that we're working with um with a solution at the moment in london who are doing some work on um, using artificial intelligence to support a revision process in a different way. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole load of schools where you you see things and you think, God, that's impressive. School 21 in London. Yeah. Uh, Time School has got some cracking stuff in terms of their thematic delivery. So, yeah, there's there's a whole raft of schools. And I think, I think one of the issues um, that I've had here for a period of time is the problem that we've had is there aren't many of those in our locality. Mm. So there are schools dotted across the country that we have a working relationship with and we swap all sorts of things. Um, but there don't, there don't tend to be many of them in the Sandwell, Dudley, Warsaw area. Uh, and that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, I, I spoke to um, uh, is it Mike Parker from Schools North. And I know you're not in the north, so I won't make that mistake. But um, it's interesting, the idea of like trying to yeah cluster some of those conversations just to you know otherwise it does become a bit south or london centric i think sometimes yeah it does and i think microsoft help us with that in terms of the microsoft schools um process so we we're part of the uh, british or uh, uk um schools yama group but also the worldwide group so we, we make contact with schools all over the world and we're talking to them and and asking them questions about how they do things if we see something that pops up that they're doing and there's quite a a network that's available to us that we can go and look at and and see what people are up to the um so with the secretary of state about um 18 months ago so the previous secretary of state nikki morgan worked with the education endowment foundation and and um a couple of universities to come up with a concept of research school um and which then ultimately morphed into about a year ago uh, an opportunity for a group of schools to bid to become national research schools for learning and teaching. So last June, we became one of the first five national um, research schools um, because what we've done here for several years now is pushed our staff to try and do more ev- a more evidence-based analysis of what they do. So it's not, actually, this works really well for me, so therefore it's good. It's, it works well for me, I've tested it, I've worked with somebody else, here's some empirical data, this is how you could use it quite well. Now let's try and use it in different areas here, but also in different schools. So in June, we became one of the first five my understanding is the Secretary of State is just about to announce an extension of that program working in partnership with the Education Endowment Foundation. And inevitably, an awful lot of our things that we're throwing into this research school structure mm. um, have at their heart technology. Interesting. That's really interesting because, um, I mean, as part of that, do you get support from the Education Endowment um, Foundation yeah, in terms so, of yeah. doing those pilots? Yeah, so we get so we get some we get a block of funding for a three year period. We get a partnership with the Institute of Effective Education at the University of York, and they've got some cracking people there. Wow. So we get some guidance, we get some methodological guidance, we get some funding to enable things. A woman called Nikki Jones, um, who with Kirsty headed up a lot of the flipped learning work when we ran the Math Flip project. Nikki now leads on that. So Nikki leads on research school and we've welded together research school and our existing teaching school work because we train um, around about 30 school direct trainees annually, uh, both primary and secondary. Um, so the, re- the research school opportunity is a real opportunity to 
test and learn to share to run some events to support others and to build their confidence up and and how would you i mean i know you worked with the government quite extensively um previously how would you say the approach to education technology is uh, differs sort of now to then I mean, I think, well, to be honest, I'm back doing a lot. I mean, I, I, so the last two years I've been the education advisor to the regional school commissioner in this area. So, yeah. I've, so I've got the rest of this year to do that. I've just agreed to do a role nationally where I'm doing some advisory work. I think it's, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's nothing like, I mean, I was Lord Knight's advisor. So I worked for Jim and we did all sorts of things. And the Labour government at the time had a lot of money. You know, there were lots yeah. of opportunities. And I think they took advantage of a number of them really well. And I think we overcomplicated some of the others. And we didn't get quite some of the benefits that, that we would have done. But I think one of the problems then was there was a richness of resource. So schools didn't always see why they should try and work more effectively. The problem is we've now got the polar opposite because mm-hmm. now we've got no resources and everyone's <laughs> terrified about sustainability and they're now clamoring to find a technological solution. So it would have been good had we just been able to operate somewhere in the middle as against the end where there was loads of stuff and people couldn't see why to the end where there's no stuff and people absolutely see see why. I mean, my experience at the moment in the department is they're genuinely trying to look at um, how we're going to do things differently. I shared, uh, I, I was on the panel for the the Education Endowment Foundation's birthday event about six weeks ago, and the Secretary of State spoke, um, um, and she spoke really, really well. I, I was hugely impressed. Yeah. Um, and she spoke about, you know, a different landscape, a landscape that now runs from five to 18, that involves further education, that has much more of a focus on skills. She touched on the sort of skills our youngsters need, and, and they're absolutely digital skills, mm-hmm. creativity skills, personal leadership and management of their learning skills. And the Secretary of State spoke very, very well. And everything I've seen in the last few weeks, and I know it's early days for her as Secretary of State, I've been very impressed. Every conversation has involved how do we harness the power of technology to get our workforce to evolve, but also to make sure our kids are um, performing at a world class level in terms of how they learn. Um, So all of that is really promising, much more promising than some other secretary states who were actually quite dismissive of technology. Well, it's interesting because, um, yeah, maybe they're interviewing Donald Trump at the moment, but who knows. Um, uh, But uh, Justin Greening, she's speaking at BET. Yeah, next week. So I have to go and check out that speech and see if, if all those bits come out again. Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, just finally, uh, just to find out a little bit more about both of you. I mean, what were your own um, upbringings or educational experiences like? Um, so, so I grew up in Newark-on-Trent. Well, my parents were born in London. I grew up in Newark-on-Trent in Nottinghamshire. I went to the boys' grammar school there. Um, I then um, came over to Birmingham to do um, my first degree and then went back to Loughborough to do my, um, I did a master's and started my PhD there, then went into teaching. And then to be honest, went into teaching because I always wanted to teach. So having done those things, that was always, uh, that was just a personal, I suppose, an academic interest. Um, Got into teaching in Warsaw, which was an interesting experience to come straight from PhD into, um, into working in the middle of Warsaw with two or three of my friends who got me a job because I was a poor student and then I suppose I suppose because I'd got such a background my um, high degree was in uh, physiology and ergonomics so Sophie I, I taught 
science, but I also taught design and technology. Yeah. I then went through an interesting journey. So in the early 80s, I worked for um, government in terms of writing the National Curriculum Technology um, Advice. Um, so I did that. I then, when I'd done that, went to work for a guy called Sir Ron Deering, who did all the curriculum reviews. So I was one of Ron Deering's advisors. Um, and, and I've continued to be a DfE advisor for almost, well, I suppose actually I did it first in 1996, so um, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and then came here. So came here in 1997. Having uh, When I came here, I got the headship here at 37. At the time, that was very young to be ahead. I think I was one of the five youngest secondary heads in the country and haven't left. And haven't left because, to be honest, one, I love this school and this community, but two, it's never the same. Um, and that might be my fault. I accept that. Um, <laughs> but no year is ever the same. And no, I think I think that, again, is what you should do if you're helping to shape a school. You should make it interesting. Yeah. So, you know, staff never do the same things. Uh, we move people around because, again, you get you get a different view. So that's my background. Alan? <laughs> Um, so I'm the youngest of three uh, in my family, originally born in Scotland and moved to England from a fairly young age. So struggled with a language barrier when I first arrived, I seem to remember, at the age of four and five going to school. Um, I went to a comprehensive school and, and went straight through into sixth form there and then went away and did my degree in Coventry to start with and then went to Worcester to do my PGCE. Um, so a fairly straightforward educational background in terms of that and I haven't done many of the things that Sir Mark's done yet but uh, worked really hard in what we're trying to do here to to improve things. And um, for both of you if, if you were meeting some sort of upcoming leaders in education is there any either advice you would give them or uh, books or resources that you think actually yeah that really helped shape my my own uh, style as I... I think I think in, advice in terms of seeing a leadership team is um, what I've always tried to do was to rehearse the role I was going to do next before I did it. Mm. So actually, I didn't go in and um, not only feel vulnerable myself, but also put kids and staff in a vulnerable position. So I always tried to do at least part of the role that I aspired to do next before I got to that. And that is something that we try to do here in terms of succession planning. And I think I suppose the biggest piece of advice I give people is um is realise that actually if you're going to be a good school leader, it's about serving others. It's not about them, uh, about subjugating others. It's not about them working for you. It's about finding ways to make sure you get the best out of them. And, yeah. and obviously, I think technology is just such a great lever for change and for support. And um, and it's a leveller. You know, the, the, this is a poor community economically, but it's a massively rich community in terms of culture and our families and how enthusiastic they are. But, but that's always tainted with a lack of confidence. So be brave, you know. You know, I cringe when I meet some some aspirant heads who are going to they're going to change the world, but they're not going to change it for the kids and their staff and their families. They're going to change it because they want an amazing career. And, you know, um, and I suppose what I try to say to them is, look, go and serve the kids and the families in the schools. You'll have an amazing school and you'll have an amazing career, but don't do it the other way around. Yeah. I think there's some some really interesting people we've worked with in the academy. So we've worked with Paul Guinness, uh, the teacher toolkit, mm. uh, which has been really good. We had Dylan William in for a day to help us 
workaround, um, assessment, marking, feedback, and how that might fit in with everything we've got. Um, I think uh, reading about emotional intelligence is something I, I really find interesting and, and find that uh, it, it's something that a lot of us could read and take a lot from Daniel Coleman's book, for example. Um, okay. I think it's been really important. And then there's so many people on Twitter and social media that that you can pick bits from. I, th- I think just sort of idolizing or focusing on one person um, makes it very limiting with everything we've got at our fingertips today. And we're and Sophie, we're brilliant plagiarists. You know, I think you know I'm often asked, so what do you get knighted for? And it's always a hard question. But I think actually copying other people who've been braver, quicker than me is actually you know that's what we've done when we found stuff that's good and we think it can make a difference to our kids and to our staff. We've gone and tried to do it and tried to use it. Well, I think that's uh, yeah a lot of a lot of the greats out there. That's what they do, isn't it? They pinch all the best bits and bring yeah. it all together in one place. So, yeah. nothing wrong with that, um, unless you're obviously in an exam setting. Uh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you both so much, and um, I know that you're both speaking next week at BET. Um, Alan, you're speaking on innovation and efficiency, so covering off some of what we've talked about today. And so, Mark, I think you're talking about the the new primary school, aren't you? I am. I'm um, yeah. sharing the stage with Kirsty. Um, yeah. So yeah, and we're at Bet all week. So it would be lovely to meet anybody that uh, wants to come and chat to us. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for your time this morning, and uh, hopefully I'll see you next week as well. Yeah. So Thanks, you're so really much. welcome. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Do check out the social media feeds or subscribe to the newsletter for more info. And you can rate and review on iTunes or whichever podcast player you're listening in on. I love to hear your feedback, so keep it coming. Bye-bye.